Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for a moment to remember in the busyness, the craziness, the ups and downs, the highs and the lows of life. To pause, to ponder, to come intentionally before you with that wide-eyed expectancy to remember who you are, the greatest gift that was ever given. We pray, Lord, as we turn to your scriptures this morning, speak to our hearts, encourage us, open our eyes to see afresh the glorious, wondrous reality of who you are and all you've done, we pray. In Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen. Let's read from the Gospel of Luke, Luke's account. Chapter 1, verse 26, it says the following. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and trying to discern what sort of a greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there is much in this passage, there is much in this time of year that we remember to mark Christ's birth that we could focus on. Upon, But there's really three words, and I want you to look at them with me in this proclamation of the angel Gabriel to Mary concerning Jesus. Verse 32 says this, And the Lord God will give to him the, the throne, the throne of his father David. Second word, and he will... And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. These are not trick questions, do not worry. And of his his kingdom, there will be no end. We have a throne and a reign and a kingdom. I want to focus this morning, if you want a title, I've taken the title of the wise men as they came to seek out the baby Jesus. And they asked King Herod, they said, where is the one born Where is the one born king? I want to talk about the one born king. You see, central to this proclamation and to the message that is what we remember at this time of year is a throne. It is a king who will reign and it is a kingdom of which the angel says clearly, there will be no end. There will be no end. So the kingdom is central, and in fact, this wasn't just a pretty poetic phrase that was incorporated as the angel proclaimed Jesus' birth. We see this was central to his message. Matthew 4, 17, Mark 1, 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is it's at hand. It's here. It's within reach. Repent and believe in the gospel that he brought in the good news. Jesus went on in Matthew 6.33, and he encouraged those who would follow him to seek first the kingdom, to seek with a priority the kingdom. In fact, in the book of uh, Acts, we read as Jesus 
He's crucified, he's resurrected from the dead, he appears to his disciples before his ascension. And they say to him, is, is this the moment? Is this the moment you will restore the kingdom? He says, well, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, but it is for you to carry the message of the gospel of the kingdom. That was their message, to proclaim this news, this proclamation, this revelation of a king and his kingdom. And in fact, just so we get the full picture, we read in the book of Revelation 11.15, although the kingdom is here, the kingdom is coming. It's the here and yet the not yet. Revelation 11.15, it says, this is the moment the kingdoms of this earth become the kingdoms of our God. And so although the kingdom is here in power, the king and his kingdom is coming in full and final consummation at the end of the age. We live in this tension, but I don't want us to miss this reality that Christmas is a time where we remember and celebrate that the king and his kingdom has come. It's not just coming, although he is coming again, the king has So there's two questions for us that arise in my heart that I'd like us to ponder this morning. Number one is, well, what sort of a king is this? What sort of a king in a kingdom? What sort of a king comes and is born in a manger? What sort of a king is this? And the second question is, well, then what does that mean for us? Why does it matter? Of what relevance is that to us some 2,000 years later? Let's examine and unpack those questions. What sort of a king? You know, if you've noticed this year, royalty has been in the headlines on multiple occasions in multiple different ways. I must confess I've not clicked on any of the recent royal unfoldings. But certainly earlier in the year, we had the passing away of the queen. We have a new king as a country. And for those who followed along, you'll know that not only do we have a new king, but his coronation ceremony is to be held on Saturday, the 6th of May next year, 2023. Now, I know that not because I'm a diehard royalist, quite the opposite, if anything, I must confess. But it does happen that we may be in London at that time next year. Much to my frustration, I mean, much to my children's excitement. And so they've been very excitedly looking at, well, what is this coronation of a king? What does it look like? Dad, do you think we could get a glimpse, just a glimpse of royalty? And no, we're not expecting. I mean, the Lord works in mysterious ways, but we're not expecting an invite to the $80 million plus ceremony filled with foreign dignitaries, heads of state, and members of the royal family. But you never know. If you watch the coronation... In May of next year, you may well spot amongst the throngs of crowds, my children, with great excitement to catch a glimpse of royalty. But that seems right, doesn't it? It seems right. There's, there's a, c- a cel- celebratory nature to royalty. There's a grandeur. There's a, there's a pomp. There's a ceremony. There's the world's dignitaries gathered together to honor and celebrate the coming or the arrival of a king. Well, how different is the arrival of our king? Far from priceless jewels and pompous ceremonies, the world's finest gathering together was the coming of Jesus. What a picture, this joy of new birth, the wonder, undoubtedly, the fulfillment of a promise, not just to Mary, but to a people eagerly waiting with expectant hearts, the coming of a Messiah. 
In the midst of that, the humility of swaddling cloths, the chaos and the mess of a manger. We often think it's quite serene. I did offer to bring in some of our real-life baby goats, just to mess with the serenity, to see them jumping on chairs, chewing people's clothes, not just fake droppings on the floor. There was chaos, there was mess, there was confusion, there was uncertainty, and yet there was the glorious, wondrous, confronting reality of a king who came and was born in a major. You know, I love that picture. It speaks to me every year. But this is where Jesus is found. He's found in the midst, isn't he? He's not found in the absence. He's not found in the moments where we have it all together. He's found in the midst of the confusion, the doubt, the struggle, the midst of our brokenness, the midst of our grief. It's all about a God stepping down, not into our strength, but into the midst of our weakness. There is a God who does his greatest work in greatest darkness as his light comes bursting and breaking through. Wherever you find yourself this Christmas, remember that. He is a king who's found in the midst. In the midst, right where you are if you will invite him in. And see, this is a picture of this kind of upside down, or we could call it this right way up kingdom. Here is this king, the king of glory, who comes to stoop down to embrace lepers, who reaches, it, reaches out to love the outcast, excuse me, who overturns tables and overthrows hypocrisy. See, the world didn't need another oppressor or a corrupt, power-hungry dictator. The world didn't need more pomp and arrogance. In a world of oppression, he came as the ultimate liberator. In a world of injustice, he came as the just judge. In a world of anxiety and confusion, he came as the prince of peace. In a world that was lost, he came as the good shepherd And most importantly, in a world that was in need of salvation, he came as our Savior to save his people from their sins. What sort of a kingdom is this? It's not an upside-down kingdom. It's a right-way-up kingdom. I want to quickly give us, so we would say the king has come, but what's the evidence then of his kingdom? That's the proclamation that he would come. That of his reign and his rule, there would be no end. Where, where do we see that as we look around the world? Let me give us two quick encouragements and then we'll bring this together. What's the evidence? I'd say number one, there's only two, is this. It's the profound impact that the Jesus revolution has had upon the world that we live I've been on a bit of a reading journey, and I know this has come through for those who have been around in some of my sermons, but I started beginning of the year reading a book by Tom Holland called Dominion. He's a historian, he's not a Christian man himself, but he writes about the profound impact that the Christian message that Jesus had upon the last 2,000 years of human history. I think I got a bit excited and went from there to the, the writings of a guy by the name of John Dixon, Rodney Stark, D.B. Hart, and recently read a great book probably a little more approachable than Tom Holland's, by a gentleman whose name is Glenn Scrivener, called The Air We Breathe. 
What's fascinated me about some of these academics, some Christians, some not Christians, but all of them have written powerfully and poignantly around these two important and common themes. Number one is simply this, how radically countercultural Jesus was. Jesus' message, how, how radically against anything that had been heard and demonstrated before. And the second thing is this, how undeniably and inextricably licked our lives and our culture, the world around us, has been shaped by Jesus. Scrivener goes as far as to say, it's the air we breathe. It's that profoundly impacting. Think, think about this. One quick example, the Good Samaritan. See, Jesus spoke at a time where the oppression of the weak was not only accepted, it was thought as necessary. Survival of the, fit, the fittest. That's, that's the way life works. The strong should and must dominate the weak. In the midst of that scenario, Jesus tells this picture about how to truly love people. The Good Samaritan, a parable we're familiar of. And the message of that is not that we need to be stronger. Not that we need to be wiser. The strongest wins, the wisest wins. No, it was a call to a great life of love. The greatest is him who loves the most. He makes a virtue out of love, compassion, and kindness. Not just of those close to us, but as he proclaims of those who were our enemies. And he lived it, didn't he? He's there on the cross, crucified. And what does he do? He looks down and he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. See, Scrivener goes as far as to say this. He says, when it comes to of all the modern values that we hold dear, freedom, equality, dignity, inherent worth, you simply cannot arrive at any of these from any other means than via the Jesus revolution. He turned on its head what it means to be human. And of course, we're an interesting experiment at the moment as we try and hold on to these values. But we remove the scaffolding from which they are built upon. One more quote. Sarah McLaughlin says this. She says, To our 21st century Western ears, love across racial and cultural difference, the equality of men and women, the idea that the poor, oppressed, and marginalized can make moral claims on the strong, rich, and powerful, they sound like basic moral common sense. But they're not. These truths have come to us from Christianity. Rip that foundation out and you won't uncover a better basis for human equality and rights. You'll uncover an abyss that cannot even tell you what a human being is. Even the terms men and women become not more meaningful, but meaningless. But more than just a kingdom of principles, this Jesus revolution has fundamentally changed modern history. Not only has it profoundly shaped cultures, this is a king and a kingdom of power that has powerfully saved and changed and transformed lives. In Matthew 12 and Luke 11, Jesus is he's accused of performing his miracles by the power of Satan. He said, no, that's, that's, that's not what's happening at all. He's saying, this, what you're seeing, what, what I'm demonstrating is evidence that the kingdom of God has come near. This is the kingdom. People being set free, people being delivered, people being raised from the dead. As John the Baptist is, is in prison in his moment of discouragement, his disciples come and say, Jesus, are you the one? He says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. 
The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. It's not a kingdom of principles only. It's a kingdom of power. Where the gospel's preached, where the lepers walk, where the blind see. And we have 2,000 years of history that contain the demonstration of this king who saves, who heals, who delivers, who sets free. For those who were around just a few weeks ago, we shared some testimonies. This is not just history. This This is in our midst this very year. A king in a kingdom who saved dozens of people going through the baptismal waters, putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. People healed from long-term affliction and disease. People restored. People comforted in the midst of their sorrow and their struggles. This is the king and his kingdom. If we get the worship team back up. See, this is the reality that we remember, and I want to remind us of this morning. The king has come. His kingdom is here. And that gives us the faith and the assurance that he is indeed coming again. So the question is not, is he the king? See, Jesus declares it. History testifies to it. Our lives demonstrate it. And eternity will prove it. He is the king. There's no shadow of doubt. He is the king. The question is not, is he the king? The question is, is he your king? Is he your king? For those of us who would say yes, this is a moment to remember, to savor, to thankfully and joyfully proclaim that a new reign has begun, a new authority, a kingdom that undoes the works of darkness, a king who came to save his people from their sins. For those of us here this morning, perhaps there's some who would not answer yes, the opportunity remains for us. There will always be some like Herod who seek to destroy Jesus. He's a threat. He's always a threat to the pride of human heart, the human heart. There will always be some like the mocking crowds who sought only to ridicule Jesus. But there will always be some like the shepherds and the wise men who saw the signs, who sought him out, this king that was born, that they might bow down before him, recognizing and worshiping him for who he is. He is the one who was born king. Is he your king this Christmas? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this kingdom, for a king who came, establishing his rule and reign, proclaiming amongst his people, the kingdom is here, demonstrating and declaring who you are by dying on the cross and rising again, accomplishing the mission to save, to rescue, and redeem a people for your own possession. Father, I pray that for those of us who know you, that our hearts afresh this day would rejoice in that reality of Jesus, the King of Kings. For those of us here this morning who are, are far away, that through your loving 
gracious, compassionate arms, you would reach out and draw them to yourselves. I pray for any others, Lord, who perhaps never considered the true reality of who you are. Would this be a day where eyes are open, where ears are attuned, where hearts are awakened, where souls, as you're exalted, are drawn to you, the living, glorious one. May you be our King this Christmas and every day. And may, as you taught us to pray, we with eager anticipation, with joyful proclamation, pray that prayer you taught us to pray, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here and now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.